Just when Toronto FC fans thought it couldn't get any worse after an offseason that saw the club's GM and two of its most beloved stars depart the team, surely they would have hoped to usher in the new era for the club with a win in its CONCACAF Champions League opener this season. Instead, a 4-0 loss to Independiente has the Reds fans in full-blown panic mode. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and ahead on the show we will talk about the crisis in La Chorrera and look at the off-seasons for Canada's other two MLS teams. To break down all of that with me, from 680 News, it's Michael Leach. Michael, thanks for joining the show. Hey, Mitchell, thanks very much for having me. Well, I don't think it's uh, any secret where we're going to start this week's show, and that's um, just an absolutely unexpected, um, you know, embarrassing. I mean, there's all kinds of superlatives you can put on the loss, but uh, a game that, you know... Look, Toronto FC got scored on very early on in this game, but even then, um, it really didn't seem like a game that was going to get this out of hand this quickly. I mean, um, it, it went from a game that, okay, maybe you lose uh, by a couple goals on the road to a game where it, it almost looks like their CONCACAF Champions League campaign is is over before it started. And uh, what a shocking turn of events for a team that we knew was going to struggle a little bit out of the gate, especially you know with, with some of the departures and the fact that they've had a tough time bringing players in to replace that but I don't think anybody expected this and uh, boy has that changed kind of the the perception and feeling around this team in in a quick way well you know that game really kind of went in stages because they they did as you said they conceded the early goal and you kind of think well you know they're a little bit rusty mm-hmm. you know it's the first competitive match they're playing against a team that's that's already played several matches in their season so you know it's a slow start is to be expected nothing to worry about they win the penalty, and and Boyd sends it. I think that ball is still on its way <laughs> to the moon. Um, so you you get to halftime, you're you're one zero down, and and you're thinking, okay, well, you know, put together a better second half. The wheels completely fell off that bus. You 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 get to two zero down, and you're going, oh, this is a this is a bit of a problem. But you look at the weather and and the Panamanians having to come up here. They could easily turn that around, and then mm-hmm. it's three zero, and then it becomes four zero, and and it becomes comical at that point. Um, really, the way the way things came off there, it's I don't know I I don't know what you think, but I mean that's possibly the worst, most deflating loss in club history, considering the circumstance that they're in, losing Bezbachenko, having the, you know the news come out that that uh, Vasquez was gone to start the preseason. The Jovinko saga, uh, soap opera, whatever you want to call it, uh, the Vanderweel saga, soap opera, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it, it was a really, really tumultuous preseason for Toronto FC. They needed to come out of the gates down in Panama and show fans that what they're saying and, and the belief that everything is going to be okay has to be backed up by some measure of result there, and it was the entirely opposite result of what they would have hoped for. It's up there with the worst losses in history. I don't know whether it's as bad as the Meadowlands Massacre back in, what was it, 2009, where Mm -hmm. they had the chance to make the playoffs, and then, 
you know, completely fell apart against the worst team in MLS that year. Uh, th- this one is uh, this one's a head scratcher, and uh, I don't know whether they can turn it around. I, I think I think as you said, I think the Champions League campaign is over. Yeah, and uh, I put the uh, inaugural playoff game against the Montreal Impact up there in terms of uh, disastrous games. But again, the, like you said, the context around this one and the fact that they really needed a win to, you know, kind of calm everyone down and and you know get some stabilization in what's been just a hectic last couple of months makes this this kind of crazy. I was. One of the things that stood out to me right away in this game that, that very much interested me was was kind of how Greg Vanny managed it. And we've seen Greg Vanny in the past, uh, you know, this is this is the way he said he's going to play. Ever since last offseason, he said he was going to play with wingers, that this was the new way for the team. Um, but we, we saw a team that didn't, you know, was playing with two very inexperienced wingers in, in Justin Morrow, who has played a lot of time as a wingback, but not necessarily an out-and-out winger. And and obviously uh, Griffin Dorsey coming in for his first professional start. And then, you know, even the options off the bench, they just didn't necessarily, um, you know, have the have the players there to play in that system. And he never really changed it. That was that's what really shocked me was, um, you know, even when they when they continued to to be conceding defensively when when the inverted fullback system that he's trying to play doesn't work uh we saw greg vanny that you know didn't change his shape at all and that's very contrary to the greg vanny you know of of 2016 and 2017 where uh, if things weren't going well he was more than willing to to make a you know make a move that that kind of changed the system and this is almost twofold right I mean uh, I think this is someone who's being stubborn and and made it very clear that uh, he he does want to play this system and is is willing to to go through some growing pains to make that happen but at the same time you wonder you know he just doesn't have the impact players off the bench or or even in that system that that he can really use to to kind of turn something like this around. Yeah, I mean, you know, in order to play in the system that he wants to play in, you have to have the right tools. Mm-hmm. And it looked to me like they didn't have the, you know, the right tools at their disposal to to make the 4-3-3 work. Um they seem far too thin uh to try and play in that formation at this point in time, not to say that things can't change down the road. Uh, you mentioned the point Vanny's dogmatic almost unwillingness to change throughout the course of that game almost made it feel to me like they viewed that game as a bit of a preseason game that they're going out there and they're going to try this in, in a competitive match, Mm -hmm. but whatever happens happens, we're sticking with this formation. And I think the the returns on that formation is that this team, at least at this point in time, is not ready to be playing in the 4-3-3. I also have to ask you, is it the formation or was it really appeared to me as though the team really didn't look properly prepared? Mm-hmm. And that's that's got to fall on the manager. I, I don't know whether it's that you just don't have the right components to fit within that formation to play that way or whether they just, but they looked lost. As a team, as a as a as an eleven man group out there, to a man, they they look completely lost. And and to me, that's gotta that's gotta be on the manager. They have to they have to at, at least show 
going into the match that they have some idea of how to play in this shape. I also think that they, they although they won't say it, they look to me like they very, very much underestimated the 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 club that they were playing against mm-hmm. Independiente. Uh, I I think they took them for granted, and when you're playing at this level, as you know, play and, and the leagues and teams in this region, particularly at the top levels, as the quality rises and and gets closer together, the ability to take teams for granted goes away and TFC dined out on Tigres last year because I think Tigres took TFC for granted mm-hmm. while the shoes on the other foot this time around it looks like TFC took Club Independiente f- for granted and paid the price for that yeah I mean I knew very little about Independiente going into this game um, but the one thing I did know was that they were a incredibly good counter-attacking outfit and that's that's something that even Greg Vanny mentioned but the team really didn't seem set up well to to deal with any sort of fast counter-attack and um, you know they consistently gave away the ball in bad areas that put them in, in tough positions so yeah it was it was very bizarre I mean performance wise it reminded me kind of of those those Houston and Colorado games that, that came in MLS during the time when Toronto FC were trying to trying to win the CONCACAF Champions League last year in the sense that it looked like a group of players who had rarely played together and um, yeah there, it was just it was a head-scratching performance but we did get um, you know a couple of a couple of debuts uh, a couple of uh, players who were actually making the professional debuts as well um, what were your first impressions on on some of the new signings because man I, I feel pretty bad for Terrence Boyd. I know he missed that penalty and that's on him, but he, he didn't have a whole bunch of service and he's a player who's come in here um, with, you know, kind of ridiculous expectations considering uh, the, the, the fact that the news of his signing was announced shortly after Sebastian Javinko and they haven't done much else offensively to, to bring in players to, you know, kind of fill those holes. So all of a sudden a lot of pressure goes on a player in Terrence Boyd, who I think could end up being a good signing, but is one that, uh, certainly wasn't brought in to to be a star on this team, and uh, then you've got Dorsey and Simon. I mean, probably not the the greatest uh, returns for for the the Toronto FC players making their debuts. Well, as far as Boyd goes, I mean, it's not a solid first impression, is it, for fans? You know, looking at Terrence Boyd and and that that shot that he nearly sent out of the stadium. It looked like a an NFL chip shot field goal almost the way that that he took it and I don't know whether he slipped on the turf turf or whatever but he very very clearly got under it I kind of like the fact that he got on social media in the aftermath of the game and and owned it I I think that's cool Um, I thought he took a a little bit too much responsibility for the the overall result uh, over 90 minutes I, I don't think that's necessarily he should be blaming himself for what was in my opinion very much a team loss uh, you know, Boyd, I think he was, this is, to put him in that position where he is sort of the feature striker, central striker, uh, right out of the gate is is really heaping a lot of pressure on him, particularly mm-hmm. with, with Jovinko moving on and there sort of being that perception <clears throat> out there that I think has kind of been broken a little bit, that he's the replacement for Jovinko, which he's not. He's more of a a Ricketts replacement than anything else. And I think over time we'll see that he is, um, he will be an upgrade over over Toe St. Ricketts. 
As for Dorsey, I liked his energy. I thought he brought some pace. And, uh, you know, he has the potential to to really find some quality here. Obviously, it's a tough circumstance. And, and in his first, you know, professional appearance, um, you know, for the team, it, things didn't go well. Simon, on the other hand, I mean, really, really <laughs> poor. Yeah. You know, super, super disappointing. I expected a lot more from him. Couldn't handle the pace of the Independiente attackers. And that mistimed challenge done, I can't remember whether it was the second or third Yeah, it was goal. the second goal. That was yeah. comical. Mm-hmm. That was absolutely comical. That's going to turn into a hashtag fail GIF. <laughs> that is, that, that is going to become a, a thing because that was, it, was so, it was so poor. Um, Schaffelberg, sim- similar to Dorsey, it's a tough position to be in. And, and particularly with what happened on the night, I, you know, I thought he was one of the better players, which is, you know, great for him, but, you know, a real, really damning indictment uh, of the players who you would expect to take on a greater leadership role. Yeah, Schaffelberg not even signed to an MLS deal. So, uh, like you said, uh, if if that's your best player on the night, it's probably not a great sign. And yeah, you mentioned the defensive issues. Um, that's that's kind of something I was a little bit concerned about when they I saw that they were playing uh, Simon and Mavinga together. I know there's still some some lingering issues with Drew Moore injury wise, and um, even Eric Zavaleta wasn't available for this game. So the, the concern there is that uh, Mavinga and Simon are are very similar defenders in the sense that they're willing to take you know risks make some risky challenges uh, and they kind of need a guy behind them or beside them to to cover up a little bit for that and obviously it pays off a lot in Mavinga's case and we certainly saw that in last year's CONCACAF Champions League but when you've got two defenders like that who are so aggressive I mean this that that's easily the worst part of this I mean we kind of knew that Toronto FC would be um, would be a little shaky offensively, especially with Josie Altidore out and uh, Nick DeLeon missing as well, who I think um, in this case might have been an even import or more important uh, miss just because of the, the system they're playing and, and the fact that they really lacked those wingers. But at any rate, we knew that they would struggle offensively to start the season. This was supposed to be basically the first look back line for, or like top back line for Toronto FC this year. And uh, that's not a great sign. Frightening, when, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. When uh, you know, again, Independiente played a fantastic game, but you would probably think they're below the average MLS team in terms of quality for sure. Yeah, you would have to think so. And I mean, Bradley's got to shoulder some of the blame for this too, because mm-hmm. I really felt that he was invisible for most of the night. I, I, I didn't think he was much help to the guys in the back line at all. Um, it, you know, again, it looked to me like they underestimated that opponent. As you said, they are probably not up to an MLS caliber, but Vanny admitted going into the game uh, on Friday in the last training session here in Toronto, he, he admitted that they really didn't have a ton of intelligence on this team. They, they, they really didn't know very much about them. And I think Mm -hmm. that, that probably cost them. Obviously it's much easier to get you know, and, and, and understand where, where TFC was coming from because, you know, so much more is available in terms of video and film. But if this is the best that fans, TFC fans, have to hope for this season, <laughs> if this is the best they have to offer, this could be a historically bad year. Yeah. Uh, defensively, that they are nowhere near good enough. It's amateur. Amateur is the word I would use, I would use to describe what I saw in terms of team defending, uh, you know, on Tuesday night, uh, it's certainly going to have to improve and improve a lot 
in order for this team to compete this year? Well, we know that Ali Curtis and Bill Manning and some of the other TFC front office staff are over in Europe right now. They're trying to secure the services of Alejandro Pozuelo, who is the player they've had kind of earmarked as their designated player replacement for some time now, playing with Gank in the Belgium League. Obviously, there's been some major complications with that as well. Um, this all makes this way more interesting because we know Toronto FC were trying to bring in players before the season started. We know that, as I said, they've had some some mix-ups and some difficulties doing that, but now all of a sudden there's got to be so much more pressure on them because it, it was incredibly obvious that this team is missing some serious pieces. Uh, we know they're they're trying to sign three of them, but um, you know what, what does this mean for, for the player hunt? Because... Uh, now there's, like I said, there's got to be a lot of extra pressure on that, and uh, considering you know just how much this club really does need uh, the added help, especially offensively. Well, and just as a footnote to the the Panamanian disaster, mm-hmm. I think fans need to remember this was one game. It was the first competitive game of the year, and it certainly looked like it was the first competitive <laughs> game of the year, and. It looked to me certainly like much, much different than last year where they had really prioritized CCL. Mm -hmm. Not sure that the same priority was put on it this year. So I would hesitate to jump to too many conclusions based on one performance. There isn't enough of a body of work there this year uh, to to make a serious judgment of the way things are going to go. But certainly... I was one that really felt that this team would be okay this year, mm-hmm. even if they didn't make a huge splash in the transfer market or bring in, you know, bring in the replacements right away, whatever. I thought they could be okay, at least tread water. After what I saw the other night, I do think there is cause for concern, but I'm not willing to jump to any major conclusions just yet. As for the, the you know trying to bring in players, they do have to get something done relatively soon because based on what we saw the other night, and it is only one game, they don't look good enough to me. If the Pozuela thing works out, it could take that impotent-looking attack that we saw on Tuesday night and really unlock it, mm-hmm. especially if he can develop chemistry with Josie, um, you know, just in, in seeing... A little bit of him last week against uh, Slavia Prague. When he came on, it completely changed the look of that gank team. So if he, could, if he can come in, develop chemistry with Josie, I, I think they could have a really dynamic-looking attack. I'm not hearing a whole lot about a Javinko replacement anymore, which is a little bit troublesome because they are going to, they are going to want to replace what he brought. And... I think that Josie can, have, can still have a lot of success even without a, a suitable replacement at this time. But if you, if you add a player of, of some quality to the attack, it's going to unlock Josie even more. And I also feel if they don't get something done relatively soon in terms of the replacement, fans are, are going to start to get really, really antsy, particularly if the team struggles to score. Uh, or if it takes longer for Josie to return than, than what we're expecting. But all of this aside, if the defending doesn't show any signs of improvement over what we saw on Tuesday night, I'm not sure how much it's going to matter because they shipped 64 goals the other way last season. 
they could ship more this year if, if nothing improves, although I do feel that it will improve. Yeah, and like you said, well, Toronto City, they did have, uh, you know, one of the better, you know, at least in the top half attacks in MLS last season, but it doesn't matter if you're just allowing even more the other way. So, yeah, certainly interesting. And as you said, there's there just wasn't that attacking creativity. Um, that, that was a big concern. I mean, Jonathan Osorio, uh, a great player, had a breakout season last year, but uh for me, not a number 10, uh, a player who complements a number 10, but uh, it doesn't necessarily provide the same range of passing. Um, you know, probably a lot of Toronto FC's best chances were created by Osorio on the night. He had a, a good little flick with Terrence Boyd where he had a tough first touch and, and some other moves like that. But um, yeah, I definitely think that the club uh, could probably use uh, someone else there in, in the middle and uh, who, who's able to, you know, create a little bit more. Because like I said, Terrence Boyd was pretty isolated and uh, the, the wingers, you know, like you said, good energy, but they, they didn't create much either. Yeah, it looked like, to me like a lot of square pegs and round holes. Mm-hmm. That's That's the way they looked to me the other night. So if they want to play in this formation, they're going to have to change personnel. And yes, there were at least three, maybe I think four, you know, guys that you would look at as potential, you know, starting 11 caliber players who were not in the lineup. But again, it just, it looked to me like things were just off by half. Yeah, and you're going to be missing players like that throughout the season. So uh, sure. you, you would hope that, uh, you know, the, the team is is deeper than, it's shown in the early stages. Um, now going into a very interesting second leg at, at BMO Field on Tuesday. Um, is there is there any hope of a turnaround here? Because, you know, the, the result that's kind of been, uh, I guess, jokingly. Do you believe in miracles? Yeah, exactly. The result that's kind of been jokingly thrown around is the is the 6-1 uh, game against the Montreal Impact uh, that won the Voyagers Cup. Uh, back in the day, but uh, there—I mean, there's just not much evidence based on what we've seen so far to to suggest that this club has uh, four goals and and more to the point, four goals without allowing one. I mean, I would. The players I expect to go out there and give 100% effort. Mm-hmm. If I'm Greg Vanny, though. I'm looking at resource management. I'm looking at being 4-0 down. I need five goals, and I can't concede to win the tie. Mm-hmm. I would wave the white flag, frankly, if I'm him, and get ready for, for Philadelphia and, and look at that game. I, and I hate to say it because fans are paying to go, but I would look at that as a glorified training session and continue to try and work some things out. As far as putting your best players out there, on what should be a fairly, you know, it's going to be below freezing. It, there could be snow. There is snow in the forecast from what mm-hmm. I saw this morning. Are you going to risk your first team players, the, the critical guys that you need to get you through the MLS season? Are you going to risk the injuries? Is it smart to risk the injuries for what appears to be a lost cause? If I'm Greg Vanny, I don't think I put out my, my first team. I don't think I put out my, my best 11 for, for sure. I would almost consider just taking a look at, at, a, at a lot of young guys, and, and it's unfortunate to say that, but the reality is they're 4-0 down. There's almost no chance of them coming back. 
I know people say the weather can come into play, but the weather affects both teams. Mm-hmm. I know it will affect the Pan- Panamanians more. They're not used to the cold, but I'll, I'll ask you, Mitchell, do you see them overturning this? No, again, based on based on the evidence of, of what we've seen, I, I mean, it's obviously a small sample size and it's one game that went horribly wrong. I mean, let's be honest even the even the top Toronto FC sides of uh, of recent years four goals is just such a big ask especially four goals without conceding because of how much you have to play offensively and I know Independiente uh, they're a club I believe that Toronto FC can score on and they can score on you know multiple times but sure but they yeah, look lethal I, on the counter so you better not exactly, give the ball away yeah. Yeah, so I just, I, I don't see it. I don't see it with, yeah, just the, the the form the club's in and the players they have as as their options right now. I I'd be surprised. So, like you said, I think that uh, I think that it's it's pretty likely we see um, probably close to the best eleven, but maybe uh, if if things aren't going well, you know, I, I don't think we see um, necessarily Josie Altidore risks for long minutes or anything like that in in the cold of Toronto. As uh, as you know, I if wouldn't you're going put Altidore out, out at all, even if he's fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if well, if you're going out early in the in the Champions League this year, you don't want it to somehow still be a massive burden on the season. So um, we, we've already seen some injury issues here, based on you know uh, uh, De Leon getting getting hurt based on the turf in Panama. So yeah, I think that I think that unfortunately Toronto FC might have to pack up shop here and hope that they can get some new players in and uh, and get ready for for an MLS season that now becomes you know even more interesting based on uh, how this result went so um, let's let's move on to another uh, Canadian MLS team and uh, very interesting off seasons I think for all three Canadian teams uh, certainly for the, the team that was the most quiet during the MLS offseason um, insofar as Canadian teams and that's the Montreal Impact uh, year two under Remy Gard and uh, they did not do much uh, this offseason which was was pretty surprising after I guess Remy Gard kind of uh, slowly rebuilt the team last year with uh, with a lot of additions um, the only major one uh, at least in terms of a transfer is uh, Maxi Rudy coming in from from FC Dallas uh, to to kind of help their attack there um pretty uh you know a good signing i think they've been missing a, a striker of that caliber for for some time um you know basically since dda drogba left and and he'll he'll definitely help an attack that uh looked pretty good towards the the back half of last season but uh, i don't know i'm i'm a little surprised that montreal hasn't uh hasn't necessarily done more in in this window uh, i'm not i'm not surprised at all I th- and i think if you're an impact fan i think no news is good news uh, after mm-hmm. all of the change that happened there last year, I think stability is a good thing. And this is year two under, under uh, Remy Gard, as you said. And they really showed signs in the second half of last season. I know they couldn't get across the red line, but they had such a poor start to the season as they were going through the upheaval of that change and, and the new system under Gard and, and, and all of that. Once they started to find some chemistry and cohesion... I thought they really started to look good, look dangerous at times. So I think for them, I think Rudy's a nice pickup. I, I think he's a capable goal scorer, obviously, and, and can also provide a fair number of assists, which if he can form a partnership with Piotti, I think Montreal will be a team to watch this year. I would be very surprised if they don't make the playoffs. 
because I really feel that, again, the chemistry that they showed in the second half and the, the, uh, the, the step up in quality in the second half of last season, I think they can carry that over into this season. And I think they, you know, I, I, I would, again, I, they, they will certainly be a part of the playoff conversation or at least in contention to make the playoffs. I don't think they're, they're going to go far. I don't think they're one of the top tier teams in the Eastern Conference. But I would expect them to take the step up into the playoffs this year or at least contend for it again. Yeah, and one interesting player I um, that Montreal did bring in and I'll definitely be watching very closely this season is Zachary Brogiard, who's uh, made a couple of games now for the Canadian men's national team on loan from Lyon where he's mostly played with the the B side there he's actually was actually the captain of the Lyon B side um in recent years so uh definitely a player that's that's one of the top prospects in in Canadian soccer um you know a player that's that's playing in a fully professional environment for his first time and uh I think someone that that could definitely help Montreal this year I know uh they they kind of tried to do something similar last year bringing in Michael Patrasso that definitely didn't work out but um you know a little more I guess pedigree comes with with Brogiard here and uh, a player who every time I've seen him is is just a very solid defender and uh, obviously <laughs> the, the games we've seen him in have mostly been against a much inferior opposition as Canada uh, works through the Nations League right now but uh, a player who I think could could definitely add a, a little bit more to a Montreal team that uh, suddenly looks decently deep and and has a lot of uh good European quality to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like him again. As you said, we saw him, uh, we, we've seen him a couple of times with the national team. And, you know, he, he's a, a nice acquisition. I was really impressed with him when we saw him with the national team last fall at BMO Field against Dominica. But, you know, there therein lies, you know, maybe a, a, a little <laughs> bit of the, the, the X factor or the unknown is that it was against Dominica. And that's, it's too hard to, to take any sort of, you know, serious, uh, to make any sort of serious assessment when you're playing, you know, opposition that is is well below your level. It, it'll be interesting to see how he fits into MLS. Yeah, it certainly will. Um, let's move on to uh, a team who did, I, I guess you could say basically they were the Polar the opposites last of the year. impact. Exactly. Yeah, they they were kind of Montreal last year, except even to to more of an extreme. I don't know if I've ever seen an MLS team uh, beyond an expansion team. I mean, uh, new coach and again, new coach as well. Even even saying that, Mark DeSantos has basically said, you know, they're not an expansion team, but they feel like an expansion team in the way they've they've absolutely turned over their roster. Um, that's got to make things very interesting for Vancouver coming into this season because um, there's not a lot really left there. I, th- I believe it's eight players uh, who played minutes in MLS last year. One of those is Simon Cullen, who played four minutes replacing Alfonso Davies, um, who who remain with the team. So uh, that's just a, a ridiculous amount of turnover for uh, a club looking to to you know completely change their directions right now. Yeah, to me the the Whitecaps off season is very reminiscent of the Game of Thrones Red Wedding, where now everybody that was a part of that last season is is pretty much gone. Not everybody, but a massive chunk of that team from 2018 is gone, and it it really kind of needed to be that way after that uh, explosive 
season-ending media event last year. Uh, they needed to make wholesale changes, obviously, uh, and that's, you know, I think mostly due to the fact that there's the transition between the, the Carl Robinson style and and now the start of the Mark Dos Santos era. Uh, you know, it makes them, because they're such an unknown and there's, they're kind of a wild card. Who knows which way they're going to go? Um, it, it's interesting that he uses that the, the, they've the expansion team sort of uh, moniker has been put on them. Expansion teams, you know, we've seen recently in MLS have have come in and surprised. And and mm-hmm. I think of Atlanta that they they were able to to make the playoffs in their first season. Really, uh, Vancouver could go either way. I, I think it's they're they're a great unknown with with so much turnover in the roster. Yeah, for sure. And interestingly, they've gone very young with a lot of that turnover as well. Um, Huang Inbaum is is a player that I think most Vancouver fans will be will be very excited about. The twenty two year old had an incredible Asian Cup uh, midfielder. Uh, they had a they had a little teaser video with with you know, just some of his highlights and, uh, just an incredibly talented player, uh, technically. And, um, yeah, in general, I mean, they, they have very few players on this team, you know, over 30, I would say the, you know, the average is, is closer to 25. So, uh, they're definitely looking to, to get younger and, and using those, those new young DP slots as well as, um, you know, an opportunity here to, uh, get some players in who could potentially work towards the future. And you can see why Vancouver management would have a, uh, an appetite for that after, you know, selling, uh, Alfonso Davies off for, for 25 million. And I wonder if this is what the club starts to become, where they, they become a great place for, uh, for younger players, uh, you know, a stepping uh, stone to something ex- bigger. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, which is, I don't think a bad position at all for Vancouver to, uh, to place themselves in, especially with the, you know, the way they have their academy set up in a very European sense with the residency there. Uh, I think this is a, this is a positive step for them. Although evidently you, you've got to start getting the, the results as well on top of this. I mean, if you're going to rebuild, you might as well go young because you either mm-hmm. set your team up long term or, as you said, you can go the Alfonso Davies route. And if, if the players that you're bringing in and developing at the, at the youth level and, and introducing them into the senior team or, you know, young players in the senior team, if they perform well, you can sell them off and, and uh, you know, it, it can reap rewards that way in terms of some of the transfer fees that you can bring in. And I, I think it, it builds your brand, you know, across the world. And, it, you know, Atlanta United has is, is kind of done that, certainly with a higher level of success, a higher level of investment as well. But you look at, at you know, uh, Miguel Almarone's move to Newcastle. It's very much in the same vein as, as Davies going off to, uh, going off to uh, Bayern Munich. The difference being mm-hmm. is that Davies is one of ours. And so we're obviously uh, much more excited to see him develop at that highest level uh, over, at one of the big, over in one of the big European leagues. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the the philosophy that Mon- that uh, Vancouver's taken here by going with a youth movement. Yeah, and, uh, you know, besides the youth movement, I think, uh, look, Vancouver's going to be an incredibly difficult team to, to handicap this year a little bit just because we – we don't exactly know, um, you know, how this roster is going to turn out. There's just so much turnover. It's it's pretty hard to predict. 
Um, but bringing in a player like Freddie Montero, a veteran player, someone who's been in Vancouver before and someone who's obviously very proven in MLS, uh, I think that's a, a reasonably exciting signing for them in terms of um, just making, you know, get, giving them a little more opportunity to, to succeed this year. I was uh, I was impressed that they were able to, to get that done and, and bring him back. Yeah, he's slick. I like him a lot. He, uh, you know, creates a lot of space for himself. He's a proven MLS goal scorer. That MLS experience is going to be really, really important, vastly important when you're talking about developing young players and turning them into MLS or potentially higher caliber players. Uh, a, a guy like Montero, I think, can be invaluable for, uh, you know, certainly for Mark Dos Santos as, they, as, as he seeks to bring the, the young players along and turn them mm-hmm. into professionals. Yeah, uh, you talked about the the young players. Uh, this is if you're a Canadian men's national team fan, this is probably the team you you should be most interested in this year, just because there's so many young Canadian players on this team and so many players who uh, could potentially get themselves, you know, into the national team conversation or deeper into the national team conversation with an op- with a roster this kind of wide open. I mean, they, they've brought in a ton of players, but they're also you know they're not incredibly deep at any position, so we could we could see um, some Canadians get major minutes. I mean, in goal in particular is one of the the places I'm interested in with Maxime Crapo, USL goaltender of the year last year, and it sounds like early on in in off season from everything I'm hearing out of Vancouver, he's uh, probably won the job over Zach McMath so far. So that's an interesting one. Derek Cornelius as well, uh, the 21 year old defender coming in from uh, the Serbian league is, is going to maybe get a chance to be paired alongside Daniil Henry, which is, you know, a national team uh, pairing that we've seen in, in recent weeks. So, uh, or in recent months. So that's, that's one as well. And a lot of young players, uh, again, I mentioned Simon Cullen, Michael Baldissimo around the, uh, around the fringes of the team as well, so this is a uh, this is a club that uh, obviously we know Mark DeSantos likes to have Canadian players in his team, likes to use Canadian players. Even a Mark Anthony K when he was a, uh, an assistant coach with LAFC, so that's something to to definitely be watching this year uh, for Canadian MLS fans. Yeah, I mean certainly Cripo, um appearing to have you know won that job is a bit of a surprise to me because I thought that was Zach McMath's to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's, you know, Crapeau, obviously, you know, being in Montreal behind Evan Bush, it was going to be really, really tough to, for him to, to get a lot of, uh, starters minutes and, and to, and to get a lot of appearances with that team. So obviously, you know, for the national team, it's, it's a rising tide floats all boats kind of scenario. And in the same way that you have Davies developing and, getting competition in Bundesliga at, at that highest level, I think the same holds true for some of the young players, some of the players, the Canadian players coming into MLS. They'll be able to, to develop at, at that just that step up uh, in terms of level, um, you know, in a professional sense at home. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a great thing. And, um, yeah, I, I, I'm very curious to see what happens with Vancouver this year because I think mm-hmm. – they are a, they're a real unknown. They're, they're just the amount of turnover in that team. It's, it's going to be really intriguing to see how that story plays out this season. Because I have, I personally have a ton of faith in Mark Dos Santos and, and uh, really think that was a great hiring for the Whitecaps. 
Yeah, I, I do too. I, that's someone who I see fully as a future men's national team manager and someone who has already augmented, you know, the, the reputation of Canadian coaches here in North America. So um, and as you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, the rising tide for Canadian soccer right now and, uh, you know, it doesn't just extend to players, it doesn't just extend to coaches, it extends off the field as well, um, which which brings us to a pretty exciting announcement last night uh, the, the Canadian Soccer Business uh, Association announcing a uh, 10-year deal with with Media Pro, uh, a company that owns BN Sports, a, a major player in, in world soccer. It sounds like uh, this is going to create more jobs for for Canadian soccer personalities, which I think for both of us is is welcome news, um, as well as uh, th- them getting the the rights to um, the the Canadian or the Voyagers Cup, um, both Canadian national teams, men's and women's. Uh, it sounds like League One Ontario as well, as well as the Canadian Premier League. We're with as with anything, kind of with the Canadian Premier League right now. We're not fully sure on all the details in terms of what this exactly means for uh, where the the Canadian Premier League goals or games will be shown next season um it sounds like they're kind of thinking uh, you know some games will be shown on television some games will be shown on multiple platforms and that's that's a key part of this deal is the ability to um kind of move the rights around and and have some flexibility there but the fact that a media company is willing to make a 10-year investment in, in canadian soccer i think is uh, incredibly promising for for the future of this um you know the sport in this country and uh, i mean definitely makes sense with the the world cup coming up but is is overall a, a huge positive oh yeah absolutely i mean on the surface it it looks good and the dollar figures floating around i've mm-hmm. heard around 200 million for the for the 10 years that's tremendous it's a ter- tremendous infusion of cash to the CSB, which filters to to the canadian soccer association and to the canadian premier league i do have some Concern. I don't know whether it's concern, but there were. I, I was looking for maybe a few more details as to yeah. where the CPL, uh, Voyagers Cup, and national team content will air. Uh, if they can work a deal, particularly with an over-the-air provider like uh, like the CBC or CTV, whoever, to get on mainstream network television, I think that's great in terms of growth potential for the sport as we head towards 2026 but also for the Canadian Premier League as a whole as it tries to build a foothold across the country. You know, they're yeah. also looking at streaming services. I know BN is BN is on uh, on DAZN. I think if they mm-hmm. can go to DAZ, if you know, if you can get CPL content on DAZN, I think that's a positive as well. The fact that some of this is still very much up, up in the air, particularly with the CPL season just over 2 months away, I think there there does have to be, you know, maybe a, a little bit of concern for fans as to how are we going to consume, where are we going to consume <laughs> this content? Because yeah. for, for the CPL, particularly as a startup league, it is massively important, in my opinion, to be able to, to build its market and its brand nationwide on television and on streaming services that people already have. If you are mm-hmm. looking at providing an added cost service, either online or on cable, I'm not sure that that represents real growth potential with casual fans 
for both the CPL and the sport in this country as a whole. I think they, they need to be in front of as many eyeballs as they can and say, hey, this is our league, and, you know, get on board. Come join us. You don't have to pay extra to get it. I don't think it's any secret that the Canadian Football League has suffered mm-hmm. once it went off of CBC. When it went to TSN exclusively and went on cable as opposed to over the air, the CFL's television, ra- you know, the television ratings are still very good, but they aren't what they used to be. And I think that's hurt that brand. I think it's hurt that league. I don't want to see the CPL fall into the same thing. I really feel like they've got to get in front of as many eyeballs as they can. Yeah, I, uh, you know, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. I think uh, even even as a young Toronto FC fan, um, I, I was able to watch Toronto FC just because they were on CBC. I, I don't even know if I would have been watching Toronto FC at all if if they were on another network. They were just, I mean, they were literally on one day when I was watching CBC Sports Saturday. So um that that's and that's kind of how I started watching their games and obviously they were readily available there so especially for the first couple of years as you mentioned in terms of bringing in those casual fans uh, I mean it's it's great if they can get some games on zone and, and that sort of thing but uh you know the wider network they can get to um and it, it goes with everything that's uh, that's incredibly important so yeah as, as you said uh investment definitely a positive um as is you know the the length of the investment but Overall, we we kind of want to <laughs> a few more details here. I think that's what, again with almost everything with the Canadian Premier League, they just give us bits and pieces. It's never the the full picture, yeah. Um, which which you're never fully sure how to take. Um, Keep the suspense level high. Yeah, that's that's certainly what they 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 seem to be doing. Um, that being said, another uh, reasonably big signing for the Canadian Premier League uh, this week. I would say probably their highest profile player signing so far, and that's Marcel de Jong, someone who's been a regular for the Canadian men's national team in recent years, has Bundesliga experience, uh, played most recently for the Vancouver Whitecaps before signing with Pacific FC. This is a player, even when he broke off his contract with the Vancouver Whitecaps, and I know there was rumors of the Pacific deal, I always thought... You know, maybe th- this is someone who would who would seek a, a bigger payday than probably what he's getting with Pacific FC. But this is very promising. I mean, th- this is a player who I think is still in the men's national team conversation. Could well earn a couple caps as he's a Canadian Premier League player. And uh, with with especially the way Pacific FC is, which is basically a whole bunch of players from uh, the you know the the Vancouver Whitecaps system and a whole lot of young players. This is exactly the type of guy you want on that team uh, as someone who can who can mentor those young players and and as someone who brings a, a touch of class to to the league. So uh, very promising signing for me for both Pacific FC and the Canadian Premier League in general. I love this signing. I think it's a great signing for Pacific. Obviously, it's a name that people out in British Columbia will know uh, because of his ties, uh, you, you know, the, the, the years that he played with, with Vancouver Whitecaps. I think that, that will help in terms of building uh, the club brand, the Pacific FC brand, uh, out on the West Coast. But you mentioned it. I think the most important thing in terms of the De Jong signing is the veteran experience that he will bring having played in Europe, having played in MLS, having been around the block, Mm -hmm. that professional experience 
will be invaluable to those young developing players that that will be a part of that that club. He will, I I think he's will be uh, an invaluable uh, tool for that that team to bring those players up to a professional level, and that's ultimately what I believe CPL's mandate is: is to to develop young Canadian players and turn them into professionals in a professional environment mm-hmm. where they can play at home and not have to go overseas. I love this signing. I think it's, it's, it's an absolutely, uh, it's, it's a critical signing for that club. I'm really looking forward to seeing Pacific FC and, and, and the entire CPL as a whole get off the ground here in the next few months if they come out with the schedule and actually have games. <laughs> we're hearing that that's supposed to come out next week. We hope mm-hmm. um, the time is time. The time frame for that is getting short with April 27th, uh, not too far in the distance now, but uh, I, I, I like what I see. I'm looking I'm really looking forward to the CPL. Yeah, still, as we've mentioned, a lot of questions to, to be answered there. Uh, we still don't know what the players are going to be wearing. Drop we don't a know. schedule, CPL. <laughs> yeah. Drop the schedule. Want, yeah, it makes and, it. Hey, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I know a lot of guys who live in Toronto who are mm-hmm. thinking of hopping on the subway and heading up to York University to see York 9 play. Yeah. And they're like, we want to buy tickets, but there are no tickets. Like, there are no, they don't want to buy season yeah. tickets, but they want to buy tickets to a match against whoever. And there's no, there's no dates available for them to, to buy yet. So drop the schedule, CPL. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely agree. That's uh, that's probably the biggest thing still to come. But um, one other small bit of news uh, for for uh, Canadian men's national team fans, um, which is the fact that Canada got its group draw for the under seventeen championship. Um, they're going to be in a group with the host United States, Guatemala, and Barbados. Very interesting format for this year's tournament, actually. Um, basically, there's there's kind of a top division um, with with a couple groups, and the top three teams from from those groups, uh, which is where Canada's in, is is kind of that top division. They advance to a round of sixteen single elimination. There's also a a bottom uh, division where the top team from each group so that's three from from the top groups and then one will join them from each of the the bottom groups so it's a very complicated format but at any rate uh, a draw that looks pretty likely for Canada to get on to the next step and uh, that's a that's a pretty important uh, you know group is that under 17s because those are probably the players who will um at least sort of be be some of those players kind of nibbling around the men's national team come uh 2026 so definitely something for uh men's national team fans to keep an eye on but uh we'll we'll wrap up the the show there um thank you as always michael for for joining me thanks very much mitchell for having me and uh, just a reminder, on the 28th, we do have an event coming up with uh, the guys from a football podcast, Christian Jack and Stephen Caldwell at the Rivoli. Uh, we actually have two Toronto FC players who will be joining us there, Jonathan Osorio and Justin Morrow. So you can head over to homestandsports.com slash events slash AFP to get your tickets. Uh, definitely an event you, you won't want to miss. That's just the first uh, in in kind of a series of guests that uh, KJ and, and Stephen Caldwell will, will be announcing. So uh, definitely worth uh, the price of admission and hope to see all of you there. And um, uh, until then, have a good week, everyone.